know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't get why hoes are impressed by expensive food. The best date is a great panda Chinese buffet. They got salmon, corn dogs, and brownies, all you can eat. That's disgusting. Don't take a girl there for a date. Ever. You just mad cause you wine and dine hoes and I feed them oriental lasagna and still get top-notch pussy. 48 minutes of dog sparking. 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 Oh damn! Yeah, I got a case. Son, where'd you? I'm really just gonna do that. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Every episode's gonna start with that. Yeah. Oh jeez. Oh Rick. So, how's life? Oh man, you know, doing so good. I went to, of all places, Indianapolis, Indiana this past weekend. And in celebration of the fact that I'm turning 41. Oh. And, and yeah, just had a, had a good old time. Had me a, a pork tenderloin. Had me some... Uh, the one thing I wanted to go to that we didn't wind up going to was the Kurt Vonnegut Museum. And I'm kind of bummed about that one. But other than that, I mean, we went to you know, the Children's Museum. And we went to a place called Idol Yorg, which is Native American art. Had a good old time. Had some had some Daredevil beer there. Had a little brew house tap room. One thing I didn't know about Indiana, this was news to me. First of mm-hmm. all, no no alcohol after 8 p.m. on Sunday, which was fine, whatever. Gas stations don't sell tall boys. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a culture shock. And then the other thing was if your bar slash restaurant has Bar service within X amount of feet of where you can eat. No one under 21 is allowed. And I have two 12-year-olds. So that presented a bit of a problem every time I would pull up one of these places on you know, Yelp or whatever and say, okay, well, yeah, this looks good. I really want to eat here. We'd get there and it'd say 21 and up only. And there would be, of course, no outdoor seating. So you'd be stuck with two hungry 12-year-olds and, and a very rough afternoon. So thankfully, we managed to avoid that for the most part but there were a couple times it was just very strange i did not know that about indiana i've uh i think i've had diarrhea there <laughs> same but that's indiana is one of those states where when you get out of i mean i guess missouri is the same way where you get outside of like the two or three like metropolitan areas mm-hmm. it's kind of like one of those things where like well if you didn't make that turn where that rest stop is at it's going to be probably about another 20 minutes of driving before there's like another like off ramp, the society. Yeah, it was very odd. Google seemed to want us to go through every poor neighborhood we could find. It was, I kept making Oh, so ju- you went through Hammond? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It have, was, you been, uh, have you ever been to Hammond, Indiana? I, I have not, but I was playing along for the sake of the bit. Oh, yes. It is probably, I think, right out there with Jackson, Mississippi. As one of the most like, uh, what the fuck's going on here? Uh, places I've ever been in this country. It is uh, a very poor, like outer, outer, outer suburb of Chicago. And uh, I had to go up there one time to get some speakers, as one does, as yeah, as you do. Yes, yes. And the they were being purchased from 
a Catholic school. And um, these were like new in box. They were, I don't know why they didn't want them, but I was helping someone who had purchased them, keep them company and help them move the stuff around. The guy that came out was uh, just this big fat guy. And he had a polo on that was knitted and the pattern the knit was an American eagle in front of an American flag, as you do. And I think there was like food stains on the polo and all that. We get the speakers loaded up super easy. And like, I remember just closing the van door and the guy looking at the person I was with looking at the tattoos on his arm. And he's like, well, what's that tattoo about? And the guy, my buddy explains like, oh, it's from a, a movie and it's a countdown to like when the world ends from the moment that person like wakes up. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, my preacher, he uh, he knows what the world's going on. He, he talks to God. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, it's one of those things where uh, I really just wanted, like, the inner monologue was just, uh, this uh, this sucks. <laughs> like, uh, And then we realized we were hungry. And we asked the guy, is there anywhere good to eat around here? And he's like, well, there's, like, a Greek restaurant. If you go down this way, you turn right on such and such. Uh, they're pretty good. And we're like, oh, geez, Greek food in the middle of Indiana. Like, this is a real fucking gamble. So we follow the guy's instructions and we get there. And it is a place where the most Greek thing about it that I could tell was, like, the pattern on, like, the fencing that went up to the front door had, had a very Greek design to it. Nothing about the food. The food was okay what the thing that really sealed the deal was that in front of the restaurant was a giant uh ceramic uh statue of liberty that was probably about 15 feet tall and it just kind of was like the end cap of this part of the country that i hope to never return to again and then we drove home just being like wow that was some of the worst lentil soup i've ever had i was like i'm not is lentil soup greek jason do you know this <laughs> i do not i doubt it no it's it's vaguely mediterranean it's it's you know it's sure it's from that region but i doubt it would any greek restaurant worth their salt or with their tzatziki would serve it i would have to ask my neighbor who's uh, very crazy about being greek oh yeah those are some of the best people they're just like i'm really really intense <laughs> about being greek if you're going to meet someone who's like really really intense about being syrian it's also like just as awesome it's just like yeah okay so yeah, yeah that, sound, that sounds good <laughs> like there's there's i i can't disagree <laughs> i can't i can't uh I, yeah go yeah it's nice speaking of being really into being <laughs> syrian <laughs> Oh no, oh no, Chris Chan and Bill Cosby are trending at the same time. <laughs> that's that's a perfect that's... way to open the show. Welcome to 48 Minutes of Dogs Barking. My name is Jason. This is Brian. The other voice hey. that you hear on the other end of the uh, the microphone there that's not my, a psychotic break, I swear to God. The Millie to my Vanilli, the Sammy Sosa to my Mark McGuire. Baseball nerds. Love that joke. Baseball nerds, oh my god, they're pissing and shitting right now. Oh, they're pissing and shitting on their doo-doo ass. Yep. (laughs) So, Brian, let me hear about this bus stop guy. Tell me more about this. So, at work today, I was on the delivery truck, and we stopped at the parking lot of a gas station in North County, St. Louis. 
and there's a bus stop right in front of this gas station. There's just like a bunch of people like hanging out waiting for the bus as people do in St. Louis. And there is a guy we see as we park the truck. We see him walking across the the parking lot of the gas station to the bus stop. And he's a guy, it's got to be, I'd say, about mid-40s at best. And he's wearing a purple Cardinals hat, a purple polo, and he has a purple handkerchief wrapped around his right wrist, has a other purple, purple handkerchief in his back pocket, and... He's got some like Elvis Presley glasses on, a chin strap beard, and a St. Louis Cardinals logo tattooed on the side of his neck. And he's got some, he's got some, uh, some jewelry around his neck. And I was just like, man, that is a St. Louis ass mother looking motherfucker. And the guy yeah. I'm riding with, he's like, he's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. But here's the real thing that really kind of set it off as being like, I have to take this guy's photo, even though like <laughs> I am not really into like taking photos of people in public and then being like, Hey, look at this guy. He had a purple cane. Oh yeah. I see it. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm finally getting a, a full gander at the picture. And it's just like, this is the most St. Louis ass motherfucker in the world. This is a guy, his local Chinese spot has his fucking mint, his fucking uh, order memorized. They see his name on the caller ID and they know like, Hey, get that shit going. You know, <laughs> when he travels, like if he's got to go like visit one of his bullshit cousins in fucking Boston, he brings a bottle of fucking malls barbecue sauce with him just in case the food tastes a little weird. He flies with a Crave case. He flies with a White Castle. Of, uh, oh, that's, suit, that's the suitcase he, of 32 he's the burgers. Sort of guy, yeah. He's the sort yeah. of guy that would get an Emo's pizza overnight to him <laughs> if he thought, like, this was some bullshit, like, whatever they're trying to feed me in this house. You know, the kind of guy that, like, thinks he probably has a warrant out for his name, but, man, who knows? Now, I have a, I have a very serious question. Do you think maybe... He's ripping the Third Street Saints from Saints Row because there is a new Saints Row game out. So maybe. <laughs> no, I think I think no, this dude is just cool a, as hell. I showed the photo a couple. I showed the photo to a couple friends and they respond with like, <laughs> I think uh, my one of my friends commented that it was bus stop uh, Waluigi. <laughs> too thick, too thick to be Waluigi. Too Walu- thick Waluigi's to be Waluigi. a beanpole. But another friend commented that that's the kind of guy is either probably the coolest guy you've ever met or one of the biggest pieces of shit. Like, there's really no in between. Like, this is this dude either is like terrorized his neighbors or he like mows all their lawns on a Sunday. Yeah, you know, it's, that's the kind of St. Louis ass motherfucker he is. Is like from thirty yards away, like can't really tell. I'm not sure <laughs> if I want to find out, but but yes, that was the St. Louis ass motherfucker of the week. Um, you know what? That needs to be a segment. We gotta get the St. Louis motherfucker, motherfucker of the week. Of the week. <laughs> yeah. God, wait, wait a week. So, um, do you want to hop into the crypto scam? Actually, I, I, I've got uh, quite a few things to to just touch on. First of all, new Coke flavor dropped. Gotta get it up for the Coca Cola Corporation out of Atlanta, Georgia. Big fan of uh, the, the little scrappy uh, underdog company. Really doing it. But oh yeah. <laughs> They're they're not corporate, you know, soulless motherfuckers like Jones Soda. No, come on. No, uh, I, I will. I'm such a sucker for random soda flavors. Same. Well, a couple months ago, maybe maybe even like a year ago, they came out with Starlight. 
My kids mm-hmm. love that stuff. Came in the eight ounce cans. They had a zero sugar one. Loved it. Yeah, I tried that. It was kind of like a cinnamon, like Dr. Peppery kind of version. And marshmallow too. It was just some interesting stuff. Yeah. Then they did a limited edition one where you bought two cans for $15 because they only made 5000 or whatever. And of course, like a sucker, I bought two packages. That one sucked. Too much grape. It's called Bite, B-Y-T-E. It was this whole thing about like, yes, now you're drinking the metaverse. <laughs> it's just it was like a really over carbonated grape soda wasn't great but this new one dream world is pretty much fulfilling the promise of what starlight was it's light it's really good if you get a chance it's extremely expensive for some stupid reasons like seven bucks for a 10 pack of eight ounce cans but it's delicious uh i love uh, i love a good diet soda so Anything that tastes good, I'm gonna pick that up. So new Coke drop. That's number one. I'm uh, I'm going to. I am also one of those. But I don't drink really that much soda anymore. Mm. But it's like, oh, there's some weird, fucking bizarre new Coke flavor or Mountain Dew. I'm liable to try it. Yeah, Mountain Dew's got me in the past couple past couple of years. Boy, because that Major Melon is super good. That watermelon one. Mm. Mm-hmm. Major Melon's great. Spark is great. That's the lemonade, uh, strawberry lemonade one. They do, of course, the classic Taco Bell only Baja Blast. Every once in a while, they'll put it in a can, though. So that's a. You can still get, and I think, like, if I go to my local grocer, they still mm. have it in a can. I'll have to double check. I'll report back for next week's Perfect. episode. Yeah, well, you can get Baja in a can, but you can't get Baja Zero. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's that's where it really falls apart for me because I wanted to try the flaming hot Cheeto one, but it don't make a zero. And man, regular soda, I drink a regular soda. I'm on and I'm running to the bathroom. It just feels terrible. Yeah, there was a time like about ten years ago where I didn't drink soda for like a month or like two months, and like just I don't think I really had like anything sugary or had had anything that was really high caffeine, mm-hmm. and just like for shits and giggles, like I was like a at the gas station and I bought like a Mountain Dew, like, you know, like a 16 ounce regular ball. Mountain Dew. Yeah, yeah. Just a Reggie Mountain Dew. And that shit had me thinking I could kill God. <laughs> like it was just one of those things where it was just like vibrating. Like, you know, like <laughs> something in the other room fell off a shelf because I was just going, you know, just, I was just like, fuck me. Like what the, yeah. what the hell? Like I remember posting about it on Facebook and a couple of people posting, like responding, like, yes, I did the exact same thing. And then, like, I had, like, two sips of Pepsi and thought that I could, like, you know, shit a fucking golden egg. Well, speaking of shitting a golden egg, no, that was... <laughs> speaking of shitting. I gotta work on that. But uh, another weird thing on the internet this week. The official Twitter account of Israel didn't ask me anything on Twitter. Oh, no. Aside from, aside from some of the, the, the usual jokes and spoofs and gags and whatnots that you would expect when a group, let's just say, as contentious as the official Israel Twitter account asks, ask yes. me anything, somebody jokingly responds, uh, a gentleman who goes by the handle Amir Mecklenburg, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher that, sorry, asks, <laughs> you're 74 years young, how do you do it? To which Israel, the official, again, the official Israel account, replies, 
Age is just a number. Winky face blowing a kiss emoji. <laughs> oh, Shlomo. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah, so I I I, I think that one got ratioed to hell and back. It's currently at like nine thousand retweets. Uh people just windmill yeah. dunking on the state of Israel. Who wouldn't dunk on the state of Israel given a chance, I suppose. It's a freebie almost. Have you finished we're kind of jumping this is a callback for last week. Have you finished the rehearsal? I have finished the rehearsal, but those of you who are not in the know, HBO Max has been putting out a great series by Nathan Fielder, who wrote a Canadian television program called Nathan For You. The rehearsal is about a guy, Nathan Fielder, taking people through rehearsals of moments of their life that they want to make sure they get right. The show takes an absurd turn when he decides to join someone else's rehearsal and pretending to be a father to a series of child actors. Yes. We're, we're, we're discussing the finale now, so skip ahead about a minute or two. Save yourself some spoilers if you don't want to hear about the finale of the rehearsal. But yeah. And the, the woman that he picked to do this like parenting thing to like have this like kind of like dry run in an abstract but meaningful way about raising a child is like this very intense like christian fundamentalist i think i dated someone like her before which is what made it really weird i mean like i've known people like this and i'm probably sure i date at least one or two people like this but there's like this weird thing because you both have like empathy for this woman and you also have like some really genuine disgust. And one of the things that gets really intense and I'm actually kind of, it's interesting that Nathan, I think did this or at least even put it in the show is that the the child that he's co-parenting with this, this lady, Nathan's Jewish and she wants everything to be very Christian. And there's like a, a scene in the third or fourth episode, maybe where he's playing with the kid and they're like dressed up for Halloween. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's a satanic ritual oh, yeah. and, and yeah. all of this. <laughs> the Halloween is satanic. And yeah. Oh boy. And so Nathan creates this situation where he tells his co-parent <laughs> that uh, he's taking the boy, Adam, to swim, swim lessons, lessons. yeah. <laughs> he's taking him to um like Jewish lessons. Uh, what shul. Be, shul, yeah, like uh the what it means to be uh, Jewish and the the basis of the faith and the culture. And it's uh really like kind of heartwarming. Like um like cuz he realizes like there's meaning in, in teaching your values and your culture to your offspring but he's also like having to like do things like put like pour bottled water on the kid's head when they come back so they look like they had gone to like a swimming pool i think they eventually start using the lady who's yes. doing the shul they start using her shower <laughs> which is amazing and nathan eventually comes clean and you know explains what's going on and so the lady agrees to uh come out and like try and talk to her and, and this woman just uh, the co-parent mm-hmm. uh, what's angela. her name angela, angela. Mm-hmm. the co-parent angela you know this uh this jewish teacher she's a very nice lady and she's trying really hard to be patient with her but eventually just throws up her hands like i can't 
I can't deal with an anti-Semite. And, um, you know, yeah. that kind of seems to be the end of that. But I think it's like the next episode, Angela taps out. Yeah. And she's like, I can't do this anymore. Right. She bails on her own rehearsal. On her own rehearsal. But Nathan, for some reason, keeps it going. I think, yeah, which is interesting. I think he was starting to find some deeper meaning of his own in the project. And so he brings back the the Jewish, the Judaism teacher. Mm. And, and they have, and, you know, there's this montage that feels really positive and upbeat. And then, like the last like minute or so of the episode, she's there in the Nathan and the teacher in the kitchen, and she's just like, "Well, you know, they let them know uh, a couple hours ahead that there was going to be a bombing. People I had time to leave." And you're, you're just like, "No, no, this was so yeah. nice and good." <laughs> oh. Yeah, the dark underbelly of of rabid Zionism really rears its head. It's very strange, and it just like you said, it just kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah, and and. I guess like real Zionism does, you know, in, in a way, it's just, it's, it's, it's real. It's a dicey. Uh... It's, it's tough. I have a close friend who comes from an Orthodox Jewish family and his family and his parents are very nice. And they've always invited us over when we go to visit. But I remember one time being in the living room and just kind of like looking over like the stuff they had, like on the coffee table. And they had a periodical that was from a very pro-Israel publication and the uh there was a piece about like i think like the big feature was a piece about how like it's good that netanyahu doesn't want to leave the presidential uh you know the building like it's 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 good that he's doing that and i'm like i'm i'm not sure it is yeah (laughs) it does not seem like a good transfer of power so it's very interesting and and then and then the official Israel account says age is just a number. So, <laughs> I mean, Israel is just absolutely. They're on one. They're... They stay. They stay. They stay dripping. <laughs> I used to work for a company. They sent service people like the they manu- It was a manufacturer, and they sent service people all around the world to work on their machines and stuff like that. And one of the managers was telling us about how cool it was to go to Israel because he's like, there's just like these hot skinny babes with guns everywhere. And I'm like, oh, you mean the IDF? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the IDF. And he's just like, yeah. And I'm like, and I just like, I'm looking at this guy and it's like, yeah, like you think you have a chance with like an IDF chick? Like, no, none of us do because no. we're, we're gross Americans. Yeah. Anyways, that new Coke flavor. Yeah, great. <laughs> first 20 minutes of the show is about Israel. That's fantastic. Hey, there'll be many more like it. Anyways. <laughs> so that's kind of amazing. And uh, yeah. do we want, do we want to speak on Andrew Tate? I'm not really familiar you know with this guy other than he seems like a, another piece of human garbage grifting his way through the internet. I mean, that's basically it, but the long and short of it is that he's got a lot of this manosphere, men's rights, incel language he's one of those guys i think it's i think he also was was selling and he was doing an mlm so he's doing a, a mid-level marketing bit where he's like called he, hustler academy or something or hustler university academy yeah yeah and i think and i think the 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 estate of larry flint was gonna get on him up for copyright infringement so that was one thing and then they were mm. talking about uh, there was some other stuff <clears throat> about but just he keeps getting banned I mean, that's the big thing that's really constant well, with this guy. Say he was going to like 
kill someone with an axe or something along those lines. He said repugnant shit for like the past, I don't know, however, however long he's been around. He's been saying repugnant shit this whole time. But yeah, I think now TikTok banned him and YouTube banned him and Twitter banned him. And like, and now there's a running joke uh, on Twitter about, you know, Andrew Tate has been banned from Neopets now. You know, just, he's just getting banned from everywhere. Kind of like what happened with like Milo Yiannopoulos, Laura Loomer, you know, these people that are just like being systematically banned because they just cannot stop talking. Can't stop being huge pieces of shit. Well, and it's the thing is like, you, you know, you can stop posting. You know, you know that you can just like not post. Right. But the thing is that it's, we live in an attention economy and it's like the fucking Tim pool. Yeah. Oh, Tim sure. Pool. Like the fucking shitty ass song that he came out with. Like everyone's fucking dunking on it. Cause it's obviously terrible, but it's almost like, that's the point you making fun of Tim pool outside of just like kind of being like, he's a dumbass whose brain is being uh, fucking suffocated by his, by the tactical beanie, but like quote tweeting or, or, or things like that, like that is giving them attention that is benefiting them. And I feel like a lot of that stuff, particularly from people on the far right provocateur, the alt right or whatever. I think a lot of that stuff is almost basically done on purpose to get that rise out of the quote-unquote like you know loony woke left you know i don't know if andrew tate's that smart he seems like the kind of guy that would siphon gas from his own car you know just like an absolute fucking blockhead <laughs> the dan bongino of the world yeah yeah, yeah not, a, just not a real like, smart guy yeah yeah i mean he's obviously smart because we're all talking about him in some way he's being clever but i mean i wouldn't want to like be stuck on this guy like in the wilderness <sighs> this the, the the main takeaway for me about anything having to do with this guy is just there's a, a base level of like shittiness that you're allowed to get away with and once you cross that threshold the marketplace will respond in kind and and turn your shit off a lot of this stuff is was used for revenue streams that's why it was instagram tiktok you know all that those were places where he could sell the hustler university stuff those are places where you could actually make money i think that is more what it's about than it about anything else is shutting off the revenue stream for you know for this guy who's just a real piece of shit really he's really uh kind of like a barnacle gym for men's rights activists yeah, yeah, perfect. He's a real it. piece of shit. Yes, a real piece of shit. <laughs> I wish I knew more about Andrew Tate because there could be some real barnacle gymisms like Andrew Tate, like Andrew Tate sucking off a thermos of muscle milk or something. I don't know. You know what? I'll 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 have <laughs> to think about that. Because <laughs> now, now, now you got me thinking, like, yeah, like what what exactly like what is his what's his yeah. I mean that's true, because I don't really have as much exposure to him as some other people do either, but just a small sampling of some of the stuff. He's he's really popular with like the, the kind of conspiratorial people in crypto, I've noticed in mm. my uh, Telegram channel uh, perusing lately. So you've been on the Telegram channels. Oh, yeah. I'm Doing I'm, it for real. Doing some oh, real yeah, research. I'm, I'm really, right? yeah. Well, that's how you get the fucking weird shit. That's how you that's get true. really interesting that's, stuff. That's like, very true. 
Twitter is, I think, for a lot of things that are conspiratorial or niche or on the fringe, is is usually like the top layer hmm. for whatever that is. And it's like when you get into like the discords and the telegram channels, that's where you get into like the real nitty gritty. That's a good point. Yeah, I guess if you're thinking in the iceberg model, you know, Twitter would be the, yeah. the tip there. And then you get, yeah, then you're getting into like tour sites at the very, very bottom. Tour sites or a f- like an old like BBSs. Yeah. Yeah. News groups. Yeah. <laughs> the QAnon news group. Alt.binaries.qanon.frazzledrip. <laughs> I mean, you just go. You just go for days, although it takes forever, but... Terrible. So speaking of crypto, what's our uh, crypto scam of the week? Well, Eli Tan of Coinbase wrote an interesting piece this past week. It was about, this is something that you introduced me to. It was about Ben Dow. Yes. Ben Dow. So as far as I understand it, courtesy of Twitter user Bennett Tomlin, is that <laughs> I had to stop because just the, the phrasing was so perfect. I hate that y'all somehow created a risk for cascading liquidations of JPEG-backed loans. That's a pretty good way to summarize it. Ben Dow, short for Ben... whatever Dow means. Dog, (laughs) ass, oral. What Dow is, just for people that don't understand, there's an actual technical term that's used uh, in the world of crypto. But a Dow is typically when a crypto project is still like viable, but the mm. team kind of just wants to cash out, but not end it just in case there's a little bit more blood to be squeezed out of that stone. So a DAO is usually, and maybe not in this case, but anytime you see something like, oh, we decided to become a DAO is usually uh, the team is looking to uh, formulate their exit plans mm. and kind of never fuck with this again, except for eventually being like, hey, do you want to blacklist these wallets or something like <laughs> that? It's, uh, it's like giving, it's quote unquote, like giving the community power, mm. but it's really the way for like the team and insiders to just fucking cash their check slowly. The, wow. It's, it's a, usually, I have seen it as a means to slowly rug a project. Wow. Because well, my understanding is that, that this particular one, and by the way, DAO does stand for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. It is essentially turning over any control of a project, like Brian said, to an anonymous group. And then it's all ruled by smart contracts and they all agree upon what decisions are made and proposals and votings and all that. So this one, Ben Dow is technically not that because it bills itself as a peer-to-peer lending service. So essentially what you do is you have a board ape, right? Or you have a whatever it is, whatever NFT that you have. Punk or something, yeah. Sure. You have the the Lana Rhodes one. What was it, like stepsister or whatever? So... So you've got an NFT, and Ben Dow, I, I will never get this, this pronunciation right because it's spelled Bend Dow, so it's two Ds in there. Mm-hmm. Ben Dow allows you to borrow Ether 
against the value of that NFT. So you can take out 30 to 40% of the floor price with the NFT itself pledged as collateral. That's the kind mm -hmm. of thing that actually makes sense to me. I understand what that all that means because that's pretty basic lending. You have something that's worth something. I want to give you the lowest, you know, if you want to borrow against it, we'll give you 30% of the lowest price of it. And then we'll hold it in collateral until you pay it back. Well, because floor prices have been taking a shit, the long and short of it is mm -hmm. that, that, uh, that a good chunk of what board ape yacht clubs that they actually have in the Bendow loan system are about to be auctioned off <laughs> and therefore yeah. like liquidated. Just just some stellar reporting, by the way, from Coindesk, uh, the, the reporter Eli Tan dropping some really, really easy to understand structure. Because that all that I just said, I knew nothing about this until yesterday when I read this article. Eli Tan, good on you. It just really makes sense to me. Yeah, let's let's not caress the nuts of Coindesk too much right now because also on their front page this one reporter that's all is also on their front page did it fucking disappear oh the more energy bitcoin uses the better by Stephen Lubka well, hold on no, that's like an editorial that's an editorial that's opinion yes there's a distinction news and editorial are different things sure because this they're... is this is reporting this is like shoe leather stuff they actually got you know this is true so there's there's distinctions to be made there. That's like saying, you know, a news reporter on CNN who is telling you about a train wreck is less trustworthy because Don Lemon's a moron. It's not the same, you know, right. it's not or, the same or, type or of completely discrediting a publication because Megan McArdle is there. Exactly right. Thank Though, you. I mean, that, maybe, that, that, maybe that maybe that's not the same thing, but well, yeah, I, I have been tempted to do that from time to time because, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyways yes but uh this was a really well done and an informational piece mm. um it's kind of fucking wild that like yeah all my apes are gone because i i <laughs> i fucked up the internet casino money well because i took a loan against them that's what's crazy yeah. you have this thing that's supposedly worth money you want to be liquid you want to get something out of that thing that you have so your two options are sell it or take take this loan. I'm sure there's a third option I can't even think of, which is like not buy the fucking thing in the first place and you'd still have mm -hmm. the money, but that's a whole nother. It's a pawn shop. Yeah, it's kind of like a pawn shop or a payday loan. Yeah. And so the, the collateral that you put up for the pawn, well, it's going out on the shelves. You know, it's, you, you, can, you can pick it up for a song. So apparently there's 19 mutant apes for sale in, at auction. It's really amazing. Like... I think the floor price for a board ape still like around a hundred K. That sounds right. Yeah. And I think the mint price was like 0.2 or 0.25 Ethereum. So even like if you bought one on launch and you didn't sell when they were going for like $800,000, that's a still pretty good return on investment. But I get the feeling that a lot of these people have bought these board apes and then took loans out against them. Probably bought them when they were worth three, four, five hundred thousand dollars. So you gotta just wonder what the fuck's going on. And if this triggers, that could really just like fuck up this weird fucking World of Warcraft auction house economy here. 
that could have some really interesting implications for crypto at large. Because I think Bindao is one of the few entities like this right now. I don't think they've like had to like pause trading or transactions or anything like that. They seem to be more solvent. They it looks like they can back up their bullshit, which should terrify, I guess, some people or terrify anyone that's messing around in the crypto space. That these people, they will, they will uh, let you fuck around, and they will most certainly help you find out. <laughs> they indeed will. Yeah, it looks like as of the the, the reporting, which was on the eighteenth of this month, the two hundred and seventy two board apes tied to Bendow is about three percent of the entire collection that exists, which is a sizable chunk considering. That's one entity. You're not going to see a lot of collectors even have 272 of, of these things just for the sheer volume and, and price to get it started. And they're sitting on these. And there's going to be some of that liquidation. I guarantee it. I mean, you took out a 10,000 ETH or whatever it was, you know, whatever the, the, the dollar to dollar is. You took out a loan. And because the value dropped, you don't have the same amount to pay back so you got to pay it back plus interest because that's how loans work and uh, i know financial hour mm-hmm. but uh <laughs> but they're not gonna be able to pay it back that's just how it, that, that, that's how this works they're not gonna be able to pay it back ben is gonna sell it at a deep discount to somebody who wants it they're gonna make that money back it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting and it's going to be really interesting to see who winds up holding after this, too. It will be very interesting if all of these board apes get auctioned off and see what... Because the thing is, that might actually create a new higher floor for these speculative JPEGs. Do so you think it might actually be good for the, this project? It could. I mean, Yuga Labs, there's some really questionable shit going on with them. And I think that project is kind of, I think Board Apes as is has run out of steam because they've already kind of done so much that's on their roadmap. They've got the Board Apes. They've got the Mutated Apes. They've got uh, their uh, Web3 lands game thing called, I think, Other Side. Okay. So I'm not sure what Yuga Labs can really do to enhance the visibility of this project to keep it going on. I don't know what's left in the world of crypto for them to keep this fucking gravy train going. I feel like they're they're kind of hitting the end of the line. And it's only going to be the true believers and the people hoping there's a bigger fool, who's probably a true believer, to be honest, that's going to keep things like nft projects like board apes or pudgy penguins because someone just bought a fucking pudgy penguin for like 40 ethereum and what? that was because yeah it's a ridiculous amount of money right so there's still fucking people out there willing to spend way too much or at least give the idea that someone's spending way too much you know, that could be a wash trade Who no, i was gonna say yeah that might be with some funny money i don't think outside board ape and crypto punks are worthwhile seeing someone kind of buying greatly above floor i haven't seen that in a while it feels like i'm not really like watching everything that goes on with nfts because i think even the perverse attention i give crypto nfts i think are generally pretty boring except for when shit hits the fan so like this right here the potential for much shit to hit many fans yeah yeah, yeah. is is pretty awesome and entertaining oh yeah because it's 
I believe it was nftstatistics.eth was the thread you linked me to, and we'll put that in the in the show description as well. So the thread from nftstatistics.eth, follow them at at punk9059, basically says that the DAO is getting stuffed and holding these NFTs, so they're left with a few options. Do they hold and hope the floor recovers, which is for them the best case scenario? Do they change their terms, which because they're a DAO, their users can actually do that? They can change the terms to make it easier to sell and collect. Do they find a market maker who buys them at a sharp discount? As long as they sit on the NFTs with no bids, the market doesn't feel it directly. But yeah, it's it's a very untenable situation if they do that. If they sit on the NFTs with no bids or if they just straight up liquidate them and, and get them for bottom dollar. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of potential for some real bad bad shit. Yeah, it's uh it's almost like this bizarre unre- unregulated space uh can have some really dire real world consequences. Weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's fucking strange. Speaking of strange things, okay. You want to start with a bit? Sure. So okay, text from Bennett is a popular tumblr page that started about 10 years ago i think 2012 or 2013 it was started by the kansas city area rapper uh mac lethal and represent 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 the the other big city in missouri that is not mm-hmm. st louis <laughs> text from bennett is mac lethal texting with someone he is saying is his cousin Bennett, who is kind of like this knuckle-dragging ne'er-do-well that also is kind of like a savant of the ways of working-class white boyness. So here's some of these I don't really get. My physical address is 130 Green Meadow Lane, Fayetteville, Georgia, 30215. The dogs are in the enclosed pool area. Garage side door open. Wait, wait. Oh, sorry. These are texts from Chris Benoit. No, no. The <laughs> <laughs> check with legal on that one. I don't know if we can. No. All right. So, <laughs> I, uh, I I must admit that part of the purpose of me participating in this show is just making Jason laugh. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll, it's my I'll... favorite part. So, anyways. Text from Bennett. Jeez, how do you follow up just that fucking? You really don't. So anyway, text from Bennett. So, <laughs> so this is staying are... in, by the way. I'm not fucking with this at all. So so text from Bennett is is Mac Lethal texting with someone he says is his cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's things like his cousin texting, can't get pics on my phone, and Mac responding with, "Oh, okay, I'll show you next time I see you," and Bennett responding with. My mom got a new cleaning lady to help around the house. Mac responds, nice. Bennett responds with, do you know if it's easy to learn speak learn to speak Mexican? I'm going to learn to speak Mexican so I can try to fuck my mom's cleaning lady. And believe it or not, even though I didn't give the best reading of this, <laughs> this fucking blew people's minds 10 years yeah. ago. This was the real height of like stuff white people like. Oh, thug kitchen. 
Thug Kitchen. Yeah, this is some very like I guess like indie sleaze, like normies really getting online kind of shit. And so most people just kind of think I believe this. This is just Mac Lethal texting with himself, which makes it kind of even sadder than if it was his real life cousin. There's some Edwards in here, so it it's like there's one here from it's titled Bennett has a boyfriend. Oh, and it's from God. August twenty eighth, two thousand thirteen, and it's Bennett texting. I've been friends, and friends is spelled F R E N D Z, with this word I can't say, Ray Ray, for like ten years, and he called me all the time. He annoying as fuck. And I want to stop being friends with him. And there's just like lots of it, it's like Mac Lethal writing is like a script kitty from like two thousand three. You know, do I break a break is spelled like like a car break instead of like breaking like snapping and it's just it's bad every white boy trying to sound black affectation is there complete with misspelling a word like prostitute or a dick with two c's or wanna as w-a-n-a like just Here's one that uh, I was fond of for some reason. I, I went back and found that I actually had reposted this. I'm deeply embarrassed by my naivete. And back in October of 2012. All right, so Bennett texting with Mac. Fuck, spelled F-U-K. I snuck, S-N-U-C-C, into the letter N, the number two. You know, just... So let me, let me try to give you the... F- phonetic how it's gonna sound out of bennett's mouth were bennett a real person which like brian i don't believe fuck i snuck into a strip club and wasted twenty dollars on a bad lap dance bitch acted bored so she's a stripper did you expect enthusiasm bennett duh do your job like you love it if you a prostitute Suck dick like you wanna win the MVP, deliver pizza like you love it. Uh, Mac, didn't you get fired from your last job for showing up to work on ecstasy and telling customers you were in love with them? Bennett, yeah, is that bad? Smiley face, or frowny face emoji. For some reason, this was the height of internet comedy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> is, I mean, it's, it's not unfunny. It's, yeah, it's not it, mind-blowingly funny, because I'm looking at one here, too, from the 18th of December, 2011, mm-hmm. I will also try to phonetically do this. It, yeah, it's, it's very tough. difficult. Yeah. But Bennett typing, one of the secrets to my suck-ass is eating like a mafia boss. It put me in the mind state to get this Skrilla. And Mac responding with, you have no money, but humor me, what does a mafia boss eat? Bennett the bitch killer crop a copped a live lobster from the grocery store he is at my crib ready to cook mac what's he doing bennett responds flapping around in the fridge which again (laughs) not unfunny but it would be probably funnier without like the weird affectations and the texting it feels like it's i bet some try hard white boys Mm mm-hmm I don't think any of them ever really like texted like this. No, and that's part of it. It really smells fishy to me. The other part is that almost immediately after this blog took off, Mac comes out with a book. Yes, 
texts from Bennett a novel, and then a year later they're talking about making a TV show? Yes, that's right, folks. FX had originally purchased the rights to produce a texts from Bennett TV show. As if we didn't learn enough from the shit my dad says guy Fuck. that this was a bad idea. You beat me too, you asshole. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. I got, really... I got to go there. Because here's my problem with, with shit my dad says. Number one, fake. Number two, gay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> plus L plus ratio. Does it show his asshole? Does it show no. one with the panties moved to the side? And <laughs> <laughs> no, but if fake. And then also the the shit my dad says TV show really wasted the fact that they got Canadian acting legend Bill Shatner to play the dad. I love Bill Shatner. I love Bill Shatter. He can play the dumbest, he can do the dumbest shit, and I will still forgive him for a lot of things, just because he's a, he's a goofball Canadian. He's just a weird guy. He's, it's him and Dan Aykroyd, the two goofiest Canadian guys still doing it, you know? Um, it just, he, I, I, I can forgive a lot of shit. But the fact that they got Shatner to be on Shit My Dad Says, and then had him saying the dumbest shit you've ever heard to a laugh track, that hurt. <laughs> I took that personally. That sucked a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, this also comes from the era where, like, weird gimmick Twitter accounts could really go far. And I feel like for every dumb one, like, or one that goes too far, it's, it mm -hmm. became too successful and it ruined, it spoiled itself. Like, shit my dad says. Uh, you know, there was there's ones that are lost to history, unfortunately, like the boss of the gym, which was probably the greatest Twitter account I ever saw once before it got perma banned. Yes, you know, uh, pour one out for boss of this gym or whatever the fuck it was called. But there were just lots of weird, funny accounts where it was just, I think, probably you know, like a bored college student just like, you know, shooting the shit, seeing what people liked. Mm -hmm. and what people responded to and yeah shit my dad said was kind of like one of those things i think some of those people that were using twitter as an outlet for their sense of humor or whatever are like uh this is kind of spoiling it and mm -hmm. texts from bennett it felt very kind of like a sellout thing i think from mac lethal because he was also doing like his pancake raps and can mm -hmm. he rap faster yeah. than do some raps. Can he do some raps before the, the popcorn stops popping? We're gonna do some raps. We're gonna do some raps. And uh, you know, I like I was a music photographer and like I photographed him one time. It was a good performance. This was way before this was before the pancake raps. This was like really it was like late 2010 or early 2011. Or, or if it if he was doing like the the shit that was going viral, it was the very beginning of it and it didn't mm -hmm. feel icky. It didn't feel icky or like kind of like a sellout, like again, spoiling like what you're doing by trying to make it seemingly profitable first. Like it felt mm -hmm. disingenuous. I remember also being one time kind of drunk at Gramophone, which is a bar here in St. Louis, and having a very reputable DJ introduce me to a guy as, hey, this is Mac Lethal's hype man. And 
I said some <laughs> things that I kind of regret now, but at the time I thought were pretty funny and I will not repeat them on here. But um, if you were Mac Lethal's yeah. hype man <laughs> and circa 2013, I'm sorry that half drunk me probably made you really uh, feel small and maybe upset. I was just keeping it real. And I think my keeping it real went wrong. Have you, have you checked the, the Amazon page for the book? I have not. No, there's something here that really, something that got to like the, the marrow. Okay. Like, you know, like the real center of this, I think yeah. that kind of like what made people feel uncomfortable or at the very least unenthusiastic about the existence of texts from Bennett and most certainly texts from Bennett, the book. Uh, if you go to the Amazon page for the the book, there's uh, something under editorial reviews. This is written by Raleigh Welch from the Library Journal. And <laughs> this uh, excerpt from this editorial re- review goes as follows. The author's portrayal of poverty, drug use, and the working poor white folks struggle to get by has serious street cred. Who says books with street slang can only be told from an African-American point of view? Bennett's voice is authentically rough, and he knows how to get by on any means necessary. His rip-esque ride-or-die loyalty will impress seasoned street-lit readers, but but at times, lengthy sideboards drag down the story. Still, it's an impressive and interesting debut. I can smell the tweed jacket with the... With the sewn-on elbows and Jesus Christ, just uh, sitting in front of a fireplace. I feel. This. I feel like that's kind of like telling on the whole thing. Yeah. No. It's 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 very arch uh, upper class white guy looking down his nose. Lower class white guy who also happens to quote unquote talk black. And he talks. He talks like a Negro. Yeah. And see, there, um, but here's the thing that makes it most intellectually uh, intriguing. The man is not a Negro. In fact, he is a Caucasian. Hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. That's right. Uh, He may, in your parlance, be known as a honky. Crackers only. That's all I'm saying. But Uh, on the on the flip side, kind of just skimming through like the the reviews on here, they're generally positive, and people seem to, oddly enough, seem to get something of, of substance of this and i am not willing to look into that like as far as like is this actually you know if we ever get to the point with where there's a patreon maybe that can be one of the stretch goals i will read <laughs> text from bennett and talk about it because the censored nobody <laughs> i can't say it i can't say the word i asked my black coworker and he oh, said no right. so i you can't say it right. um, i didn't get the pass terrible anyways yeah <laughs> uh, so what I'm getting at here is the Kindle here is 10 bucks, which is fair. I mean, that's how much most things are. Uh, but the paperback is $42.93. You know, I'm just going to pull up another buck 65, Wicked and Weird. And buck 65 is another one of those prolific storyteller type indie rappers. Oh, wow. So... Richard Teffrey, a.k.a. Mm. Buck65, is a Canadian rapper who uh, was very popular in the early Backpacker days. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on the Anticon release, uh, Music for the Advancement of uh, Hip Hop. Okay, I think I have that one. He's released many records that are near and dear to my heart. But like 
MacLeaf, I think there's something unfortunately very disingenuous about him. And mm. Buck 65, I think, has been kind of caught in lies and in interviews about his own mythology as an artist. And I think most people are pretty forgiving because Buck seems like a, a, a very sincere person. And this, this, uh, it's it, these, these getting caught in lies are not things of huge consequence. They're just kind of, huh, that's odd. Um, but Buck 65 in 2015 published a book called Wicked and Weird, The Amazing Tales of Buck 65. <laughs> and I was able to get a first run copy of this used on Amazon for like less than 10 bucks. The book wasn't even, I think, like a year too old at this time. Hmm. And uh, which that's a pretty, that's, I feel like that says a lot. Like that you can't even buy it new and the used copies, like a mint condition used copy is like not even 10 bucks hardcover. Right. And which is interesting because I'm looking now here on the Amazon listing page and a hardcover now goes for $91.92. Mm. But what I'm getting at here is I bought this book. I'm like, oh, I've met Buck, I've met Buck 65 a few times. I've photographed his live performances. And I think he's written some very interesting and, and introspective music. I got like five pages into it and I just realized like, oh, this is a bunch of bullshit from a liar and just like never picked it up again. For some reason, it was never investigated further. But yeah, December 2011, The Smoking Gun, really well-known site for busting liars and lying liars who lie about them. They, in a, in a piece of reporting which does not have a byline, it's just staff, the, the headline being, sorry, there is no actual 17-year-old named Bennett writing those purported texts from Bennett. Basically saying that the character of Bennett is a creation of Mac Lethal, and that they, wrote, they, they wrote, reached out to his dad. They reached out to Mac Lethal's dad, who basically said that there is no 17-year-old cousin named Bennett. It's a friend of his that kind of talks funny but then he writes it up in text form and posts it mac of course says uh to the reporter you try to ruin the fun for everyone yeah it's like which is really like saying like stop fucking with my money that's telling on himself yeah i think that really gives away the game would he rather just not have said anything that even actually you, you talked about that that one reviewer raleigh welch library library journal Oh, I'm, I'm, I think we're reading the exact same thing here. This is terrifying. Yeah. This is like finding out there was like a serial killer that's never been caught. And he's like prowled in like the neighborhood you live in. Raleigh Welch even dropped that into the, the review. It's uh, in text from Bennett, Rabber Matthews shows his storytelling chops through the voice of his imaginary cousin Bennett. So yeah, it's just. <sighs> oh, I saw something that was more terrifying than that on the, the Wikipedia page for text from Bennett, the book. Uh-huh. Or the blog, uh, the blog, I should say. And under book publication, it says, Text from Bennett was a library journal pick of the month for African-American fiction. Oh, God. Oh, God. Folks, folks, you hate to see it. Oh, yeah, African-American fiction. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. And on the Amazon page, even better. Best sellers rank? That's right, folks. Text from Bennett is ranked number 1,288 in 
historical African fiction. <laughs> oh, Hachimachi. Oh. So, the only other corollary that I think that this has in modern times is the phenomenon known as squeezy jibs. Brian, are you familiar with who squeezy jibs is? I can't say that I am. All right, so squeezy jibs, very much like Bennett, it is a alter ego of someone that actually exists. Absurd posts, badly written tweets. That I mean, it's that almost that exact same shtick, but mm-hmm. instead of having the remove that Mac Lethal did, where it was, oh well, this is my cousin. Sorry, the toilet was being flushed in the next room over. I just want to make sure I didn't pick that up. Are you using your toilet computer? <laughs> <laughs> so, so Squeezy? Jesus Christ. So Squeezy Jibs is a guy named Tim Savage. He's a comedian. He's a social content creator. Lives in California. Basically, he created this whole guy face thing. Another, it's it's one thing to have this character, this remove, like Mac does with, with the Bennett character. It's another thing for this Tim guy to be squeezy jibs. You know, I mean, people do that. People do characters all the time. Local comedian uh, Libby Higgins mm-hmm. does a character on TikTok, Carla. It's this southern fried woman with a big wig and a, and a neck brace, and she's yelling at somebody outside the McDonald's. That's a character that's a little... I think there's a, a distinction and a, and a kind of a remove there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's an artifice, but it's but you know it's an artifice. Some people might get fooled and repost Carla videos like, "Who is this crazy woman?" But but Libby the comedian knows you know that this is a character she's playing. Uh, side side note: Libby Higgins was in a fantastic zero budget indie horror comedy, Baby Oopsie. Is in the Evil Dolls universe, or Demonic Toys universe. Have you ever seen any of those films from the 90s, Demonic Toys? I haven't. All right. I feel like I'm, you're hitting a blind spot in my knowledge here. So Full Moon Pictures makes this series of movies about evil toys. That's the long and short of it. They have kind of built an entire... I don't want to say connected universe because that's really in vogue these days. It's not really even what that even is. It's just a series of evil toys that show up in the demonic toys movies, and then they have their own movies. Well, Baby Oopsie is the character, the, the evil toy, in the Baby Oopsie movie. Libby, the local comedian who also plays Carla, plays a character in that. Sybil, she's this meek, mild-mannered woman who collects dolls, but then the doll starts killing people. It's a whole bit. Want to recommend that movie because it's just absolutely absurd. It's got all of our local favorites in it. Really fun, really gross. I I would say not maybe not you know like the best thing I've seen in a while, and we'll get to that later because that's the breath. But that's for after something incredibly sure. awful that's coming up. But but baby oopsie, gory and fun. But there's a character, you know, Sybil the character played by Libby there. There's Squeezy played by Tim in, in his videos. You know, there's other people who do that. They do character work. There's a guy uh, at Tom on here on Twitter. He's in character all mm-hmm. the time in, in his videos. There's another Twitter guy, Caleb, from Podcast About List. They're in character in these videos. But Bennett is not a character. Bennett is a barely an assemblage of words 
because it's just there's nothing internally consistent about Bennett. What if that white guy in the skull shirt you see walking on the side of the highway had a Twitter account or a Tumblr or right. a sentient? Yeah. And failed yeah. to be funny. <laughs> That's the problem is like at least Squeezy Jibs is funny. You know, the text from Bennett is amusing. looking back now. You're just kind of like, OK, that's the joke. This is what you went with. This yeah. is what we landed we, on. We were we were so simple. We were <laughs> uh, you know what? We were living high off the hog of President Obama and all of his socialism. And Obama! Obama! <laughs> Every time I would, I would just enjoy the days of Rush Limbaugh just getting incensed about something completely innocuous Obama would do. And this was when I worked at the radio station where Rush was syndicated. Uh-huh. And, and, and he's like blowing a gasket live on air about, I don't know, it was something like he didn't get the rights to have the Olympics be in Chicago. And Rush spent like an hour on it. Is, the bloom is off the rose, ladies and gentlemen. The bloom is off the rose. And he would go on for an hour. And so in my mind, they're the police chief that can't control the rookie cop, Obama, and they're screaming at him from across the precinct. And so every time I think about those those years, it just it's instinctual. I just rear back and go, Obama! <laughs> Uh, watching right wing folks just get fucking bent out of shape over just kind of meaningless things or things that are on some level trivial because like yeah maybe there was something to Obama Olympics in Chicago that is nefarious or deserves scrutiny but obviously the way that Rush Limbaugh is going to look at it is uh, fucking stupid I worked a job during the start of the pandemic and there was a salesman there and you know this is everything shut down and i'm talking to him in his office and we're obviously six feet apart and all that and he's complaining to me about how he can't go to his gym because of the pandemic and i'm just like well i mean like it's all about ending transmission and this is, in theory, a thing we should only have to do for a couple months, and that should hopefully give us a better position to deal with this pandemic. And he's kind of just letting me talk a little bit, and he's just like, Brian, I don't think you understand. It's the goddamn Bolsheviks and the goddamn communist government that are keeping me from going. And the whole time, he's just slamming his fists on his desk and he's like shit's going everywhere pins are falling off you know paper is falling to the ground and i'm like dude it's just the gym right it's just work out at home what the fuck (laughs) yeah (laughs) just i think part of that is that some people make the gym their entire identity though he wasn't like that his whole identity i think was flipping condos but that's 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 going somewhere. Uh, it used to be his little thing is like Brian, you're a real smart guy. You know, if I were you, I would do as I would buy a condo for like a hundred thousand dollars, fix it up, live in it for a couple years, and then flip it. Which, to be honest, 
probably in early 2000, not the worst advice someone could have given me. Yeah, right up to about 2008, yeah, you would have been all right, but yeah. Well, in, in 2020, I was seeing condos on Zillow for like 100K and very good, you know, desirable parts of town. And yeah, you could put 20 grand into it and then probably flipped it now for almost a quarter million, if not more, uh, which, you know, whatever. But that just was the condo guy. He used to be in a hair metal band and then became a born again Christian. So he would just tell me all these cool stories about like being on the Sunset Strip and playing with all of these cool bands and having these cool guitars and you know these really neat experiences watching the LA riots from the ceiling or from the roof of his apartment building just like just like him and his roommate just sitting and watching the smoke on the horizon like all of these really cool stories and I'm just thinking like where's that guy Oh he found Jesus god what a waste because it was like, oh, all of your, you know, he would act like these were, oh, he's beyond that and he's better now. And maybe, yes, maybe you've, you've outgrown some of the, the things you didn't like about yourself then. But uh, that person you're talking about is way more interesting than the person that I'm sitting across from. We were talking about this on a previous episode about how the, the Dime Square people are turning to religious now. And that instantly made me go. Oh, cool. I don't have to listen to anything you say ever again because you <laughs> I don't have to give a shit anymore or right. <laughs> anything like that. So fast wrapping viral internet rappers, a good Tumblr does not make. The court of shitheads has spoken. so it is decided yeah <laughs> tumblr honestly was probably at its peak creatively when you had really when you had a lot of the, the a lot of the filth for me I, I think that like once once yahoo bought it or whoever wound up buying i think it was yahoo once yahoo bought it and decided that it, it was gonna be more family friendly i think that was the beginning of the end and it really it reeks of that religious conversion, like the uh, <laughs> like the condo guy. Oh, you used to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, and he wasn't like even like as far as all of that, like not even like a terrible guy. He did kind of get me fired for something I didn't do. Oof. I was also kind of happy to not work there anymore. So I don't, you know, it's just kind of like one of those things. Where like, well, what? I think you kind of did me a favor. Yeah, solid. I dude. wish you would have <laughs> talked to me about it. <laughs> I probably... would have been nice yeah yeah so so there's that anyways do we have some gross foes to talk about? we do we have uh, a gross video oh, from moving, uh, image. early, moving images well you know we talked on a previous episode about two girls one cup i believe that is in the dan quinn episode which for various reasons is not out for some length of time don't ask me about it just it's been a pain in the ass so we briefly, we briefly touched on that in a previous episode. The following segment contains graphic descriptions of physical harm. Please skip ahead 12 minutes if you have a sensitive stomach. Uh, this is kind of the flip side to it. This is the gross one. This is the gross one. Because Two Girls, One Cup, we, we mentioned this in, in that conversation. is like, well, it's chorophilia. It's eating dookies. But it's also, 
engaged with in such a weird manner that you can kind of laugh at it, kind of laugh off the disgustingness of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas this unfortunate gentleman, you really can't laugh this off. This there's better ways to show that you're Mount Olive's biggest fan. <laughs> but a very specific memory. That was very, that, that's almost like uh, uh, tangible. You can almost touch it. Um, the video that we're referring to is called One Guy, One Jar. It's a German expressionistic film <laughs> post-World War II during Reconstruction. Is it an Anders Breivik movie? Did I mean... <laughs> so have you seen the movie Pi? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So well, it's a, ass it's, pie. Yeah. So it's actually, uh, it's actually a Russian guy. There's really no easy way to put this, so let me just go ahead and break the down the video for you uh, so that you don't have to look at it. Because honestly, I don't recommend it to anyone. I gotta, give my, I gotta give myself a moment to mentally cleanse because... Are you about to watch it? No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm going strictly on memory and from a description that I have in front of me, so I'm just going to... That re-traumatize ourselves for the podcast that 10 people listen to. Right. <laughs> so in 2008... And there still is a site called Efucked, E-F-U-K-T. And they specialize in weird adult humor. Um, porno bloopers, just some really... Prolapse has gone wrong. True, yeah, there was some gross butt play stuff. But for, for the most part, Efucked is mostly just like weird and, you know, X-rated, but in a, in a, in a strange or a funny way. But this one, this one kind of broke me for a while. So 2008, Efucked, the, the original video was uploaded. It is of, and I'm, I'm quoting from Know Your Meme here, so this is how you know that I really have to divorce myself from all context here, is a, a video of a nude Russian man who sits on a glass jar. The, the, the glass jar, wide as it is, uh, enters his rectum, he really grips it, if I recall correctly. I'm thinking it's a goat sea type situation where he. This is not his first rodeo with with uh, something of that of that yeah. density size and yeah. yeah. So he's able to get it a good distance up there, but then it breaks. It breaks. It breaks like a like a water balloon. It's just the sheer amount of physical pain. That that person went through is really, really great. What I remember is that the glass breaks like frozen ice, and there's like kind of like a shudder, or I think he might actually say it, says something like, "Oh, like there's something that happens that, that that lets you know that this man who's done this to himself, he realizes he's made a huge mistake." Hmm. I think the the thing that sticks in my mind about this particularly gross video, I think the first time I saw this was at my friend Joe's apartment. And this was the era of gross shit kind of being elevated into like, you know, like two girls, one cup or things like that. Um, kind of like a gross photo on the internet was not something that was just circulated around something awful or message boards or something like that or even just rarely ever peeking out from the darker recesses of the internet 
you know, your your buddy who just now got his first email address and barely understands how to work MySpace, he might show you a photo of, of some bodybuilder's prolapse coming out of his butt while he does a squat. You know, like it, it, this was the era of you didn't know which one of your friends you th- was going to just turn out <laughs> to be like a sick fucking freak. And I remember being at Joe's apartment. We're all looking over this computer, watching the screen. And I'm just like, oh, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is, and you know, like, and there's probably like three or four of us. I just remember the, the jar sharing and everyone just going, oh, oh no. Like, you know, there was like a real like, oh, Oh, this is this is bad. And I what I remember is the guy reaching up into his rectum Ugh. and pulling out a wet red piece of glass. Yeah. And there's this kind of this way he's holding it where it's like you gotta think either this man is in shock mm-hmm. and he doesn't know what to do, or he's doing like the quickest math equations, like you've ever you've the, the the human mind can can conceive of and process counting, just like he's counting the pieces yeah or just are just thinking like okay well what do i gotta do okay first i gotta do x and then i gotta do y uh-huh. if i can't do y then i gotta do a and then b and then c and then like i mean you know i've like hurt myself yeah and had to think like oh i've i'm, I'm that's a pretty deep cut okay like not even dropping a beat. Okay, what do I have to do to make this situation not suck? And I don't know if I were to sit my hairy, hairy butt on a Mount Olive jar <laughs> and have it break inside my ass. What? Oh, were you? <laughs> you know? Oh, you yeah. know what? Hey, hey, guys! I can't go see that movie with you tonight. Yeah, jar in the ass. The classic, you know, like you do. It's just a thing that happens. Oh. So, <laughs> Kevin, you seen that? You hear about that? The guy got a, a, a jar in his ass. Imagine, ever- imagine if Jay Leno played <laughs> one, one man, one guy, one jar. NBC ratings through the roof. He would get the one guy, one jar show the next year, not text. And, and, you know, and his, or, guess, yeah. his guess is Tom Green. And you go, Tom, I heard this is yours. And then Tom's like, oh. <laughs> you got me there, Jay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't like Mount Olives. I'm more of a. <laughs> I'm a plastic man myself. Plastic man. Oh, what's your favorite kind of, of pickle? You know, and it turns out he's like a, a, a buttered pickle fan. Just an absolute. Oh, freak of nature, yeah. Freak of absolutely disgusting man that should be cast out of society. I'm I'm putting out I'm putting out the word right now. If I hear any one of you, and I'm speaking to you, the audience, right now, if you enjoy bread and butter pickles, turn off the episode right now. We're done. Uh, <laughs> Sell your car. Walk into the ocean. Get out. So I in in doing research for the show, I have come across the stupidest shit possible. And we're only a couple episodes in, so just imagine how far this is going to go. But I found, you're going to love this, I found an interview with the star of the video from a website. I wish I was making this up because it would be such a great bit. But no, the website is called owmyass.com. So owmyass.com got a hold of the guy from the video Mm -hmm. and did an interview with him in 2009, about a year after it, it first came out. and. It's pretty illuminating. So uh, the guy's name is Alex. 
So much like Goatsy Man, now we have a name for the gentleman experiencing anal problems. Mm-hmm. I guess for, for, for Kirk and Goatsy, it wasn't really a problem. But for Alex, it absolutely was. Uh, so he was a sales manager in a city from Russia. And this is a quote from the article now. He speaks good English. He just wants the world to know that his penis is normal and he is not gay. <laughs> That's how I'm going to introduce myself on the show. <laughs> so one of the questions was, why didn't you go to the hospital? And of course, Alex responds with, I was afraid of what they might ask. Okay. And then the, mm-hmm. Rather than follow up, uh, they say, are you married? Is your wife now? I've been married twice. My family doesn't know. He's, uh, how long have you been sticking things in your ass? Well, 12 years. Uh, let's see, 2009, 12 years. So it would be another 13. So it would be 25 years by now. They started with a Coke bottle. Uh, so getting back to the hospital, the interviewer asks, didn't it hurt? Why didn't you scream? This was the most fascinating part of it, because I had that exact question in my mind. Mm-hmm. Alex responds, for three days, it bleed. It hurt really bad for two weeks. And again, this is a year later. Mm-hmm. I still have two shards of glass in my anus from it. I didn't scream because I didn't want my family to hear me. I was in pain. So... Not only was he doing this ass play video, but he's doing it at home, which if you're going to do an ass play video involving uh, glass objects, please do it at home. But apparently his family was around because he was afraid they were going to hear him screaming. Just And he ends the interview with, I uploaded this to let people know that sticking jars in your ass is dangerous. And because the video was really funny. it's generally speaking i mean he's right it's funny yeah i mean it's true it it was funny and shocking and also like you should be pretty careful about what objects you put in your butt oh yeah i'm not putting my car keys up there i'm not putting old beef jerky definitely not putting (laughs) the glass jar no no, and he even goes on to to give advice saying that, like, plastic bottle, you know, he used soap for lube. Uh, I forgot. I prefer a glass jar because the dimension is constant. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and just say no on that one. I'm going plastic if there's ever anything, you know, involved there. You know, this is this is obviously a guy who's pretty hardcore about his passion. Yeah, of course. You have to be. Yeah. Um, Jesus. I know. It's, it's what a beautiful man. Yeah. God bless you, Alex. You shared it. You shared your passion with the world and, 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 you know, you definitely made an impression. You made a lot of people feel sick, but yeah. Two shards of glass still in his ass. This is like a bullet fragment or something. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> he's like the 50 cent of ass play. Perfect. Cut, print, no notes. The 50 cent of ass play. All right. So, <laughs> Brian, we're going to need a real, 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 real solid breath bend after what we just described to our audience. What do you got for me? I don't have a lot. We had the rehearsal. We kind of talked about that. Oh, great. I really yeah. enjoyed it. I thought it was 
the first two episodes because I didn't um, didn't know how far it went. Mm-hmm. So the first two episodes I like watch kind of like back to back, and I was like, "This is fucking pure chaos. This is this is insane. This is this kind of <laughs> feels like the what little of Nathan for you I have watched. Like, okay, this tracks. This is just like a a, a much more intense like sociological experiment." Right. Than a lot of stuff in Nathan for you, um, his etiquette to trying to replicate spaces and situations was really interesting. And I think, and I think also, there's a lot of people that would make a show like this. And there's people that have made shows like this mm-hmm. where I don't think they admit when they fuck up. Mm-hmm. And they don't try to explain their shortcomings. And there's and some of the most interesting stuff I think in the rehearsal is Nathan realizing that the circumstances and the variables he has created have a bias that he didn't realize would become known or become such an issue. Mm-hmm. And that he is uh even th- thinking that he's a pretty smart guy and he, you know, I imagine he's not the only person working on these on, you know, fleshing out situations, these environments, realizing that even like with all the effort we have put into this, there is still more stuff that like we didn't plan for or consider. And um, I think that's some of the most interesting parts, like him realizing that like the bar, the fake bar he creates in the first episode um realizing that like well you know what if you know it's going to be loud and what if he doesn't get the right table and things like that and uh that you can't really 100% rehearse for a, a a situation um there's always going to be something unexpected and I, I think it was a really fascinating TV show. I think there's some interesting ethical stuff that gets brought up near the end, particularly with the child actor yeah. that, that develops this, this, this heartbreaking attachment to him. Mm-hmm. And Nathan kind of being so deadpan, it's really hard to read what he's going through. And well, my, I, my, my wife insists that uh, he's on the spectrum, and then this is... Sure. Him trying to understand people in a way that makes sense to him, someone who, you know, who's on the autism spectrum and and just doesn't understand how people work because people aren't machines. And I think I understand that. And I think that that's part of where the bar scene in particular falls apart for him, Nathan, when it's happening in front of him and he's seeing all these variables that he didn't account for because people are people. And so right. he doesn't he doesn't understand how people work, and even in the bits w- with the 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 woman who wants to rehearse for having a child, he doesn't understand certain elements of it. Like, why are you reacting this way? Because mm-hmm. to him, it's perfectly logical that X happens and then Y happens. But as someone like Angela, for example, the 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 woman who is is the 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 would be mother in the rehearsal. She has a reaction that confounds him because he doesn't understand people in a way that makes any kind of logical sense. So right. yeah, that, that's that's my pet theory is that he's working through some of his own 
stuff as well as the show oh, goes on. Oh, totally, totally. I picked up on that really quickly. Um, of course, the other but, theory is that it's all fake, and then he's just that good. I don't... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, that's... I, I think, And I think knowing for sure would obviously spoil some of, I mm-hmm. think, his artistry or his work. Um, yeah, it's the not knowing that provides the friction. Sure, it's the conflict. Yeah. And um I think it's a really interesting show and it sometimes it is really just drop out fucking funny. Yeah. But it's in a very dry deadpan way that mm-hmm. I think um the fact that like so many of those things that made me chuckle were just so understated like when um Nathan had the Adam go back to being six years old oh, yeah. and it's 16 year old Adam slides through the slide and then six year old Adam comes out of the bottom, which is a, which is a really, you know, for, for the mechanics of explaining what's happening inside of the, the rehearsal, I think is a great transition, but they, they hold the camera on the, the actor playing 16 year old Adam. And he's just kind of like looking around the top of the, the, the slide with like, you know, his act, his actor friends that are like fake, teenage drinking and he goes uh, uh is, is that it are we, are we, are we <laughs> yeah. doing more and you're just like, <laughs> you know, it's like uh no one no one escapes from the surrealism of this experiment right uh another thing i would recommend to people who have kids would not watch the rehearsal with them. Please do not watch rehearsal with your children. It is a very strange show, and they will not understand what's going on. That's like I don't understand them. it, and I'm old. That's like showing them the movie Blazing Saddles. What I do recommend for kids, and I, I'm I'm going to hell for saying this, I recommend a movie called Pause of Fury: colon, The Legend of Hank. Hear me out. It is a samurai-themed retelling. Of Blazing Saddles, authorized by Mel Brooks himself, featuring a rewritten version of the opening song. You know, he rode a blazing saddle, which Mm -hmm. they had written for that movie. It has a a, a huge voice cast, as some of these CGI movies do. But you got your Samuel L. Jackson's, your Michael Sarah's, a, a few really game people who are there to do something interesting and they do it's 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 very bizarre it's a it's a they take a a movie about the archetypal western and then introduce the question of race into it and then they make it a movie about cats and dogs in samurai times very because i know blazing saddles so well and because i was into this movie i could see those seams where they had to go, okay, well, this joke doesn't work. We gotta we gotta ditch the you know, we gotta ditch the the Lily von Stupp bit altogether, just mm-hmm. out out it goes. But they kept in Mongo and they changed it to Sumo, but it gets the same character beats, it's the same there's a whole gag about making a fake town at the end. Just you name it. Beat for beat, it is blazing saddles. But a CGI family-friendly remake with talking dogs. The strangest thing I've seen in a while. Just just see it to see it because it's mm-hmm. it's an experiment that's that that sounds awful. 
just on paper, it sounds like the worst idea that anyone's ever had. And it's not great. I'm never going to say that it was a, you know, genius or whatever, but it's, it's definitely worth watching. And my second recommendation, another thing that's really strange, should not work at all, was Marvel's She-Hulk. Yeah. How, fam- how familiar are you with, with the She-Hulk uh, whole bit there? I'm not familiar at all. I heard it was just a lady Hulk. So I got under, I got, I got to see a question here. It's a really mm-hmm. serious question here, Jason. This is your much more of a comic Let me, book. let me, okay, let me, <clears throat> let me, let me it's pull up. Let me bigger, pull up. Let me pull up closer. Okay. Than me. Like I've read right. a couple of comics, but I feel like yeah. you read a whole lot more. Uh, you can, you can much, tell me. What is it? You've got much thicker glasses than me. I was just wondering, Jason, if you could tell me, does she Hulk? Does she have like a big clit? Yeah. No, it's like a baby carrot. Uh, so <laughs> thank you, Jason. I really and green agree. and green too. Uh, oh, it's like a, it's like if you wanted to fuck the green, the jolly green giant, but she pretty much, yeah, she had a law degree, yeah, pretty much. Now, uh, it, it works on so many more levels than that. So, the comic book story is very similar to what they show you on the television show, which is great, kind of keeps a lot of that mythos. Long story short, through an accident. Hulk's cousin, Jessica, gets a blood transfusion with some of the gamma blood that Bruce has. Sure. G- gains all his powers, the whole bit. It's a lazy comic thing. Who cares? The point sure. is that, that we see Tatiana Mislani, who was in one of the best sci-fi shows of the past 10 years, Orphan Black, where she played 18 different characters. It, most episodes were really just her in a room with herself copied over 18 times. She had distinct characters, great actress. She got this great actress in this goofy as hell show. So another thing you need to know about She-Hulk is that she predates Deadpool by quite a while Mm -hmm. as a character. And so does the fourth wall breaks that are constant in the comics. She-Hulk in the comics is constantly riffing on what the artist has chosen to put her in and outfits, things like that. And in the television show, they keep that, which is great. For a character like that, who is kind of silly to begin with, keep the funny stuff. That, to me, works. You can break the fourth wall. It's a comic book show. She knows it's a comic book show. You know it's a comic book show. Why beat around the bush? They they, They even have a great moment where... Hulk is training her to be a Hulk and she's like doing it better than him because rah rah girl power. Bruce says something to her and she turns to us, the audience and says, he doesn't mean that Bruce reacts to her saying that to us as though he heard her break the fourth wall, but he doesn't comment on it. She's the only one that gets to that's an interesting touch. I kind of like that. That's, that's really neat. That is interesting. Those are my two for this week. Remember how bad Games of Thrones Game of Thrones was? Gang of Thrones, the, yeah. The Gang of th- the the Gang of Dungs. Man, that show was just fucking dog shit near the end. And uh, <sighs> you know, I try not to be a prestige TV snob, but I mean, talk about fucking gilding the lily. And so now there's a new Game of Thrones uh. universe show called House of the Dragon. And have you have you had? Have you have you heard about this? Have you seen about this? Have you, have you had seen about the chance? Kevin? Have you did? No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't seen House of the Dragon. 
But I, I will say that I did pick up the book. I picked up uh, Fire and Blood, which is the prequel book that House of the Dragon is supposed to be based on. Sure. Like what I was about to say was that I don't know how accurate it is to the details or the stories depicted in uh, Fire and Blood. But just going off the first episode, it feels like it is much more in line with what um, George R. R. Martin uh, has in mind for the mythology, for the the uh, content, for Game of Thrones, for Song of Ice and Fire, all of that. It feels like I'm watching Game of Thrones like season three, where it's, I think it's probably like the peak of it. The showrunner is the guy that directed, I think, Battle of the Bastards, Winds of Winter, basically all the episodes that people really tend to enjoy. Yeah, the greatest uh, hits right there. The greatest, yeah. which, and, and it, the aesthetic of the show, at least so far, seems to kind of be muted and like overcast lighting and lots of like natural lighting. Which makes sense because it's medieval times or a fantasy world, never. But like, it all feels like there are shots that, if you probably looked at a histogram, mm. would be very much skewed to the left, to the darker side, and just with like a little bit of highlight. And um, I think those end up being very interesting and provocative because it, it does feel like you're in a crappy fucking castle that has fucking fire burning 24 mm. seven. There's just like, gosh, you know, the, the roofs have to just be blacked out from all those candles they're burning. So, uh, I think on that level, I think it's very successful and it feels like a, a, a continuation of what people liked about the show game of Thrones before it got less than exceptional. Uh, some may even say bad. Uh, dog shit, poo poo, pee pee. Um, <laughs> pee pee, doo doo. Uh, Mr. Poopy Pants, yes. Mr. Uh, fuck me in my ass. Fuck me in my ass. Um, I think. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Mr. Pee pee, poopy pants is. If he says he walks around town walling, goes, fuck me in my ass. Fuck me in my ass. And then, uh, then he does a hate crime because he's terrible. That's original content. Do not steal, by the way. Just not steal. Copyright. Yep. Copyright. 48 minutes. <laughs> 48 minutes of dogs sharding. Um, <laughs> oh, you anyways. bring this up now? Now that we've already named the show, you bring this up? So, it's, so the first episode seems really good and well mm-hmm. done. And there's some, there's a great jousting scene. Um, the, Actors, they got to play the, all of the Targaryens. Um, it seems like they really got the right folks for it. Um, and for me, what I really enjoyed about the books was how... Um, I mean, everyone likes the court intrigue. I think that's the main thing, I think, that makes the first couple books and the first couple seasons of the show really uh, you know, engrossing. And, um, and so here in just the first episode, you kind of see all of the pieces starting to come into play. And um, and for me with George R. R. Martin, I think the, at least in the first couple books, the chapters I oddly enough enjoyed the most were uh, written from Catelyn Stark's perspective. Because I think he really understood how to write 
a, a strong woman character in a world that's very patriarchal and backward. And I think he also was able to really express that character's grief and frustration in a very moving and uh, strong way. Like, you read those chapters and you're like, shit, I gotta go fucking go do something for 10 minutes before I move on to Jon Snow getting mad that he's not the prettiest boy at the Night's Watch or some shit. I gotta go call my mom, is what I was thinking. <laughs> call my mom. Uh, sorry, mom. Speaking of apologies to our mother, if you would like to receive an apology from the show... You can call us, and that number is 314-AHOY-POO. If you don't understand how words on a touch-tone phone work, that is 314-246-9766. We will also take compliments, complaints, recipes for cake, or the, you know, whatever manifesto you have rattling around in that brain of yours at 48minutesofdogsbarking at gmail.com. You can find the show on Twitter at 48minutesofdogs, because they wouldn't let us have the last part. And uh, myself, Jason, here again at Video Crime, V-I-D-E-O-C-R-I-M-E, named after a Tin Machine song. Brian, where can they find you? Well, you can find me, Brian Sutter, the Mini Man Dingo, at iShotGidibor on Twitter and Instagram. That's G-U-I. D-E-B-O-R-D. And if for some reason you want to look at my photo f- photography portfolio that has not been updated in, I think, two or three years, it is assholemusicphotographer.com. Now, the safe-for-work version, in case somebody's on a uh, work computer, is the safe-for-work version is amusicphotographer.com. I do have that URL, but I don't have anything on there. I don't have anything parked on there. I had dreams, and I... Decide not to pursue them. Yeah, Ooh, I mean, mystery. What am I talking about? Did I, I mean, was I here. wearing a fancy hat and someone made fun of me? What is the tragedy in my life? Uh, well, to hear more of Brian's Arthur Fleck origin story, we'll have to tune in next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. <laughs> where I take, where I take control of a book depository. <laughs> All right, we gotta get this up before we get in too much trouble with the law. Our music for this week, and we're going to leave you off with something very near and dear to my heart. It's a brand new one from a couple of folks who like to call themselves the Mountain Goats. That's John Darnell and company. New Mountain Goats album out this week called Bleed Out. This is a track from it. Fantastic one. Co-produced by the band Bully. Ooh, I didn't know this. Okay, I'm definitely yeah. going to give that a lesson. So the, the, the album's called Bleed Out. And it is a phenomenal, it's, it's like if uh, Mountain Goats made a rock record, which is really nice. Always great to have. Oh, excellent. But uh, the most punk song on the album, Wage Wars, Get Rich, Die Handsome. Have yourselves a good one. It's been 48 Minutes of Dogs Barking. We are Audi 5000. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Traffic all drift right.